You're listening to World of Empowerment Radio. Your station for practical spirituality in a changing world. And here are your hosts, Angel Rose and Ahanu. Hi, this is Ahanu and welcome back. Now you remember last week I read three short stories for you. And I'm going to read another three this week and I'm also going to lead you into the beginnings of Angel Rose's stories because they are really superb. But this week I'm going to start with the first story that is guided by the prompt called The Hanging Basket Turned the Window into a True Winter Garden. Enjoy. The Hanging Basket Turned the Window into a True Winter Garden. Madeline's lifestyle had seen a remarkable change over the last two years. From a homeless drug addict on the streets of Los Angeles, she now found herself looking out over the lavish Los Angeles suburb of Hollywood. In the near distance, she could see the nine white letters of the famous Hollywood sign that gave her new home its immense value, and down towards the city, she could make out Universal Studios, the actual source of her financial support. Through the huge picture window, she studied the high desert landscape surrounding her $10 million home. Her eyes fell on the hanging basket, still swinging gently from just being hung by her newly appointed gardener. "'It was left at the gate for you, Senora,' Manuel said in his Americanized Mexican accent. "'No note, no message, so I hung it here, so you can have some of the garden inside.' The hanging basket turned the window into a true winter garden. It contained several aloe, a wonderful spider plant, some peace lily, purple orchid, a little hanging ivy, a slow-growing dragon tree, and some jade and a ponytail palm. It was the sunlight glinting off a silver object at the base of the ponytail palm that caught her eye. "'You can go now, Manuel,' She barked at the gardener, who had waited for her approval, any sign of appreciation from his new employer. Wait, she said, stopping him in his tracks as he headed for the door. See, si, Senora. Manuel, did you notice anything unusual about the hanging basket? No, he said, hesitating that any objection might cost him his job. No, except the ponytail palm still had its root ball unwrapped. Should I replant it? No, she said sharply, that's all. She listened intently to be sure that Manuel had descended all the dark oak stairs before approaching the hanging basket. She stopped its swinging motion with her left hand and with her right hand reached in and lifted out the shiny strip of silver foil that held the tracking device. Slipping the device into a plain white vanilla envelope, she addressed it carefully and then slipped it into her purse. She raced down the steps to the vestibule. Prepare my car, Manuel, she shouted. Quickly. And while I'm out, please be sure to water the new hanging basket. Speeding down the narrow streets of Beverly Hills, she found a U.S. Postal Service delivering mail outside her drug lord's mansion and with one casual flick of her wrist, tossed the envelope containing the small silver GPS device 
into the bag of the postal carrier. In her rearview mirror, she could see the FBI SWAT team screeching to a halt outside the prestigious address. Meeting the mail carrier coming out the gates, one officer quickly whisked him out of danger as the heavily armed team surrounded the building. Watching from a safe distance, Madeline heard the drug lord's protest. There must be some mistake. Do you know who I am? Relaxing for the first time since her decision to clear the streets of drugs, she flicked open her cell phone to read the message. It said, I'll get you next time. Comma, Manuel. I hope you enjoyed that one. Our next story was guided by the prompt It clearly bisects the level mesa and simply ends at the edge of a bluff. We don't have mesas or bluffs in Ireland that I know of, so this one I had to find out exactly what they were, what they meant. <laughs> but have a listen to this story. It clearly bisects the levelled mesa and simply ends at the edge of a bluff. Where did it land? Mark asked his 12-year-old son. They were standing on Gilbert's Hill on sacred ground overlooking the vast prairie. Winter was drawing in and the first flurries of snow were sweeping across the plains. It's got to be over by that outcrop, the boy said. His voice was just breaking, and it reminded him again of how his promising career as a boy soprano was quickly coming to an end. His inventor father never wanted him to be a singer anyway, so this excursion out into the mesa would be the perfect introduction to his almost perfected science of remote viewing. I saw it come down by that outcrop. I saw the landscape perfectly, the father said. That outcrop clearly bisects the levelled mesa and simply ends at the edge of a bluff, so it must be here somewhere. Mark sounded certain of his skill as a remote viewer, and his successes at the police academy and the Department of Defence facility at the foot of Gilbert's Hill all boosted his confidence in this new science. It's not really new, he said to his son as they approached the rock. Just as he was about to enter into a long-winded explanation of what remote viewing was, a low hum took his attention. Listen. They stood shivering in the biting wind at the top of the mesa, both unwilling to give in to their human frailty in the name of scientific research. Can you hear that? He said to his son. With the keen ear of a budding opera singer, the boy cupped his hand around his ear to protect from the biting east wind and to funnel as much of the humming sound into his ear as he could. It's a war dance, he said. Can't be. I didn't see a war dance. Well, that's what I'm hearing. Now both were unsure of themselves. They followed the source of the sound to the outcrop and there lying at the edge of a small cave entrance was their test balloon. Never mind the balloon, Mark said, his excitement welling up like a warm current from an underwater geyser. Dad, this is where the sound is coming from. Let's go in. Not expecting himself to comply so readily to his son's daring invitation, 
Mark disregarded the electronic equipment attached to the balloon and entered with his son, hand in hand, into the cave. As their eyes adjusted to the dim light, the sound grew louder, as if guiding them into the recesses of the darkness. Down they went, and deeper and deeper into the darkness, until suddenly they were blocked by a large something. It wasn't a door or a wall, but a kind of energy shield. What do we do now? the father whispered. He had asked his son, as if relinquishing all his parenthood to the wisdom of the child. We wait. In the darkness, his son whispered, It's not a war dance, it's a celebration. As soon as he had said it, the lights came on, and the entire village of braves and elders circled around them. The chief approached them with two garlands of desert orchids and placed them around their necks. He handed them a leather shield made of the finest buffalo and a spear decorated with the feathers of seven eagles. Suddenly the drums went silent. The chief stood with the village behind him, all waiting eagerly for his first words. Welcome home, he said reverently. Welcome home. You are now the bravest of the brave. You have survived the wilderness and found all your soul pieces. You have overcome even your humanity itself and followed the call of the Great Spirit. The villagers started drumming again and singing and dancing, but quickly stopped when the chief raised his arms to the heavens. He paused for what seemed an eternity, and then he said, Now you face the greatest test of all. Do you stay with your soul family or return to the world of humankind? Suddenly Mark's walkie-talkie crackled into life. This is Gilbert's Hill Command. Do you read me? Over. I hope you enjoyed that. And now, for the last story for this week, it's entitled, Why Did You Do That? Have a listen. Jacqueline lay on a cold grey slab in the Vatican morgue. Except for the tiny star of David stuck to her third eye, her naked body showed no sign of violence or violation of any kind. Jacqueline's place in the Vatican's hierarchy seemed assured when she was elected in the recent Synod of Bishops to become the first female cardinal since her sister's appointment and subsequent assassination exactly 40 years before. The congregation of St. Peter's was in shock then, how they would react now was the single most thought on Monsignor Balizzo's mind as he stared down at her cold body. Pretending to not be familiar with the female form before him, he scanned her every curve in the pretense of looking for clues. God, she's beautiful, he thought to himself. But to the waiting staff, he uttered quite different words. Do not... He paused for emphasis. Do not remove the Star of David from her forehead, he barked, not concealing for one moment his anger at his favourite successor's sudden death. Compliant with the Monsignor's wishes, the medical team went to work immediately wrapping up the body in muslin sheets. They placed her small plastic identity card on her chest, and the card 
had given her privileges to enter the most secretive places deep within the Vatican, and her report on the planned release of her findings on the extraterrestrial origins of humankind was due for release in the spring of 2080. Arrange the ceremonies without delay, the Monsignor whispered to his attendants, and close the records on the autopsy. We're done here. St. Peter's Square was packed with mourners that Saturday. Jacqueline Portelli was much loved by the people of Rome, and as far as anybody was aware, she had no enemies. Having died of natural causes, the Monsignor's move to have her buried so quickly was not suspicious to anyone, except to his attendant. Staring the Monsignor in the eyes, he asked politely, in his best Italian, Why did you do that? The Monsignor drew on his half-century of experience in overshadowing truth with dogma. I did it because it's time to move on. I buried her quickly so the people don't dwell on loss, but rather on the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. Not buying it, the attendant pressed further. Why was there a star of David on her forehead? It was her outward demonstration of faith to our holy Catholic and apostolic church. Not wanting to be pressed to answer any more questions, the Monsignor rose and sternly issued the order to prepare for Vespers. Sliding a 100-day indulgence into the hand of the Swiss guard, he opened the huge oak door to the Vatican morgue. The air was clean, but the scent of frankincense was strong. Jacqueline's body lay in an ornate coffin to the side of the altar. Pierre lifted the lid as quietly as he could. He removed the muslin from Jacqueline's face, and with a tiny scalpel, he lifted off the circular Star of David from her forehead. Beneath the star was a small hole that held a tiny, shiny object. Lifting it out with his bathroom tweezers, he dropped both the Star of David and a tiny silver object into a vellum Vatican envelope, pulled back the muslin over her face, and whispered, Dominum viscume tu Deo, before closing the coffin lid. Back in his study, the young Pierre examined the object. Suddenly, his cell phone, which lay on the desk beside Jacqueline's report, shook him to the core. A kind of alien voice said, Why did you do that? Well, that's it from me for today. But next week, we're going to have Angel Rose reading some of her stories. Thank you, blessings, and we'll see you soon. You have been listening to Angel Rose and Ahanu on World of Empowerment Radio, your station for practical spirituality in a changing world. 